Welcome to Writer's Voices with Monica and Caroline. I'm your host, Monica Hadley, and I'm by myself today. Caroline's not joining us um, for this particular episode. But we have another very interesting guest, as we always do, Stacy Greeson's Literary achievements include award-winning television pilots and screenplays. Her short stories and essays have been published in Brevity, Slate, Lunch Ticket, AFLW, and the Huffington Post, or HuffPost. In her past life, she played the late Isabella Toscano Black on Days of Our Lives. Stacy lives with her husband in Southern California, and the book that we are talking about today is... All the Girls in Town, which is a novel based in Southern California. Welcome to Writer's Voices, Stacy. Hi, Monica. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, based in L.A. Good old L.A. Yeah. So have you, how long have you lived there? I moved out to L.A. when I was 22, and I'm 58, so quite a few. So a while. A, many, a while. many. I moved out to be a little actress. I moved in with a girlfriend <laughs> into Hollywood. Started, you know, waiting tables and going on auditions. And um, I actually really love Los Angeles. I find it to be, uh, you know, it's a it's a tough place to live. It's can be very expensive and very hard, but it's also a place where you can pretty much invent yourself and create and do whatever you want. And I really love that about this place. Were you the stereotypical small town girl come to the big city? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I grew up in the woods. I grew up in Conifer, Colorado. Um, but I was always running through the Aspen Grove singing uh, Julie Andrews songs. And uh... I always wanted to be a singer and an actress um, and I moved from Conifer down into Denver and went to college in Denver. And then I was actually going to move to New York with a girlfriend and study at Uta Hagen's studio. And um, a couple of weeks before we were going to move, she chickened out and I knew somebody in L.A. And so I wound up in L.A. So you came to be the star, be a star. And I didn't really want to be a star. Star. Uh, I was, you know, I was an actor, actor. I wore oh. all black and smoked galois and, you know, okay. um, I wanted to work as an actor. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to do the actual grind of it, the work of it. I loved it. And you did. You were, su- and I did. You were successful. I was, I was fortunate. Yeah, I was yeah. really fortunate. So um, how did you land the days of our lives? Is there a story there? Audition, 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 screen test. Um, I screen tested, I'm trying to remember how many times, but I must have screen tested for five or six uh, regular roles on that soap and on Santa Barbara. And um, the story is that the head of uh, the network, daytime TV programming, did not think I was attractive enough to be on TV. But the executive producer of Days of Our Lives, Shelley Curtis, loved me. So um, the network had no say-so over recurring roles. So one day I'm just at my desk job as an assistant for a, a publicity firm, and I get a phone call from my agent, and she said, are you sitting down? Days of Our Lives wrote a recurring role for you. You start next Tuesday. Oh. So that was really something. And, you know, I think at the time I was 24 and, you know, Shelly Curtis brought me in her office and she said, you have, I forget how many weeks she said, but you have this many weeks to prove to the network that you can be a regular. And so I hustled my tush and um, said, I'll do it. You know, that's the great thing about when you're young. I tell young people in my life, just do everything. Just go for it. Just fail as many times as you possibly can. Um, Have a blast, you know? Yeah. You know, you can do that when you're young and then you can do it again when you're old. You totally can. (laughs) It's in the middle where you've got the responsibilities of family and a lot of people do that it's that become and mortgages and so forth that it becomes tougher but then you get to a point at the other end which I'm pretty close to that you know I could just I can just do whatever I want go for it again (laughs) well I guess because I decided to be a writer and leave acting and just pursue writing I got to um fail which means trying uh 
uh, for the last 20 years. So, uh-huh. and I just got married five years ago and inherited uh, three kids, a stepdaughter and two grandkids. So now at 58, um, I have a family. It's, I, did it, I did it backwards. And it's, it's been a total joy and, and really strange um, and truly wonderful. Oh, congratulations, Stacey. I, would, I do want to let our listeners know, because I'm, I am looking at Stacey on Skype, that whoever it was who said she wasn't attractive enough to be on a soap opera when she, 20 some years or however many years ago that was must have been crazy because she's beautiful now. <laughs> oh, that's very sweet of you. You know, acting is just really hard. And I would think, I just think it was the eighties. I don't know if things are better now. I'm hoping they are. Misogyny was rampant. Uh, it's quite a bit of what I talk about in the novel, which is the male gaze, the, and the internalized male gaze that women we use on ourselves, we don't even realize the shaming. Absolutely. The, so the all- age shaming, the fat shaming, the you know, the judging of one another, all this stuff that creates unhappiness that's completely unnecessary. So all the girls in town, three smart, sexy, and slightly screwed up women who were all in love with the same man at different times. Some overlap, but but mostly different times. Um, finally, come into their own. And so, what what prompted this? Was there some something specific that prompted this novel? I wanted to. Well, I had just moved in with my husband and the two almost grown step kids, and um, I I I knew that I needed uh, space to hide. No, not to hide. <laughs> I needed to slowly integrate into the family, and um, and it was time to write another book. I hadn't written a novel in a few years. I'd been working on some screenplays, and I wanted to explore, I just felt like I wanted to explore uh, what unhealed trauma looked like, what it looked like living in daily life, and um, I started thinking about how women so often throw away their t- talent to help a man. And so I, I thought, well, what would be interesting? And that's sort of how I created the first character of Danny, who wrote the song that made her husband, now ex-husband, famous. Um, and he was such a bad guy. Uh, and um, so that's how I created Danny. And then once I started writing Danny, um, and pretty soon in the pretty soon into the book, Danny's OA sponsor tells her to start journaling to process her feelings instead of, you know, stuffing them with powdered sugar donuts. And she starts journaling and immediately kills him in a journal entry. And it feels so great that then it moves to a blog where she kills him on all these fun ways. And I started thinking, well, who's reading the blog? And then the other two characters were born. Red, the on-again, off-again lover. Um, and the she's a Planned Parenthood counselor, an alcoholic, a gardener. And she's older. And then... Um, Peter's current, Peter is the rock star, Peter's current wife, Sasha, beautiful, gorgeous, pageant runner-upper, pregnant with his twins, and that's how the three women were born, and then I had so much fun writing in the voices of the three women, you know, the story is told in, you know, uh, the three women's points of view in different chapters, so that was really fun. So you mentioned you hadn't written a novel in a long time, now is this, have you published novels before? Uh, my third novel, I self-published at the advice of an agent, um, and I just didn't know enough about how to market it, and things were different then. So um, this this is my fourth novel. All the Girls in Town is my fourth. And and the others were published, or no? no the first no. two were not. The okay. second one, actually, I'm revamping, and we're going out with again. Oh, um, interesting! Yeah. Interesting. And uh, then um, All the Girls in Town is the first traditionally published, and. Um, what do you think made this one be the one that, that you hit with? Is it just the timing? Is it that, you know, because with the first three, you learned the craft? You know, what what do you credit for the success of, of all the girls in town? The first one I finished in my early 30s, and I got an agent right out of the gate. Um, and it it went well for a while. I think I was used to the acting world, which is very fast. Um, you know, you audition, you find out by the, you know, 
two days later, whether or not you have the job or a callback. So I was very impatient. <laughs> um, but the first one, like mo- often most first novels, it was very autobiographical. Um, it was a great exercise. The second novel, which I'm going out again with, um, called Manifest Nation, uh, it was all, it's all about timing, I think. It was about two people who join a survivalist cult in the desert called Take Back America. Oh. And, I, and I wrote it right before 9-11, and it was with a publisher, and it was deemed too un-American. And really, no one wanted to look at it. Um, too un-American? And- yeah, and now it's very American, I guess. <laughs> it's really scary. It's a very scary time. Um, mm. No matter how you look at it, right? It's yeah. just a really yeah. scary, interesting time. Um, all of us humans learning how to handle social media and our differences and learning how to dialogue with each other. It's just, we have to grow up. It's just crazy. So, but I think it was about timing, too. I was writing All the Girls in Town when the Harvey Weinstein story broke. And um, this book is very much um, a part of it is Me Too. And so I gave myself permission to just run with that also, even though it really is about much more than that. It's about family and our relationships with other women and ourselves. Right, right. Because that's of it is this you know make hold a bad person accountable hold them accountable because the the three main characters weren't um you know there wasn't anything non-consensual about their relationship with peter but he did um use them in other ways he used their talents he used their he took credit for the work that they did and and that's, I imagine that happens a lot more than we realize in, in the entertainment industry. I think so. Yeah. I think so. And, and he's also very, uh, he can be verbally abusive. He's definitely emotionally manipulative. He's a narcissist. And I don't imagine you know anyone like that. Right. <laughs> I don't know I ever dated anyone like that. <laughs> but the novel is not about him, but it could be said that it might be a, a mixture of a few people. So do you have, do you have any um, people in your past that um, would fit the old Carly Simon song, You're So Vain, You Probably Think oh, yes. This Book Is About You? <laughs> you no, know, actually, it's interesting. No one has said that yet because it really isn't about anyone, um, but it is sort of. A, but um, one of my other novels, uh, someone from my past did come out and think that a character was about them, and I, it wasn't at all. It was shocking to me. Oh, interesting. So yeah. of these three, the three women, Danny, Red, and Sasha, is there one of those that you identify with the most? I would identify probably them. I don't, I mean, I identify with different parts of each of them. Um, I think probably Danny would be the closest I identify with, but that might just be because I started writing her first. Mm. And she, you know, she's juggling her, she's doing things I've never had to do. She's juggling, you know, her niece while her sister is using again, taking care of her niece, Violet and her racist dad, Jack. And, (laughs) And And, her eating, you know, disorder. And then Red is juggling, you know, alcoholism. And um, yeah, she calls herself the girl who falls on the knife. Mm -hmm. Um, She is an emotional cutter. I know a lot of people who are emotional cutters. Um, But it would probably be Danny who I identify. Even though I would have to say I really love Sasha because she's so without guile. And, you know, she has this new agey vegan company called god s but um <laughs> but she means what she says yeah yeah she really means her her new agey spiel is like it's it's real to her she tries to use it in her daily life yeah absolutely and um yeah she was she was kind of a surprise in in how she how she bonds with the others yeah I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to give. I don't want to give any spoilers. But um, yeah, I, I think that I wanted to explore a, a woman who is like an LA caricature, a caricature of an LA woman. You know, does the yoga, is vegan, <laughs> does all. The, 
but you know, this is also a human being, right? Right, right. So yeah, as you're talking about that, I'm I'm thinking, you know, I'm picturing Sasha and I'm picturing Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> Oh, I know, Goop. Yeah. She's not Gwyneth, though, because she's so Zoptic. I mean, you know, she's very curvy, and she's, you know, Iranian, Armenian, German. She's she's dark hair, and she's just, she's absolutely gorgeous. Not that Gwyneth Paltrow isn't gorgeous, but she's yeah. very different. Um, well, you know, even though you wrote all that description in the book, I'm sure I still was seeing her as a, as more of a slender blonde. For some reason, oh, <laughs> more of a goop, yeah. more of a goop, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Stacy, do you want to read a little bit from the book for us? Sure. I am going to read from the very opening. Uh, the novel opens with uh, Danny's blog entry, and Danny's blog is called "Just Desserts." Uh, as an aside, people are always saying to me, that's spelled wrong. Just desserts should have two S's, and it actually does not. Ah. Um, so it is not pronounced just deserts. It actually is just desserts. I, I had to look it up many times. Um, okay, so I'm going to start with a blog entry and then just read a little bit of Danny. Justdesserts.com. At 3 a.m., I gripped the wheel and maneuvered the Taurus through scattered taillights on the 134 praying that the crunch under my ball tires was loose gravel. Putting the car in park on the shoulder of the freeway, I took a deep breath, wiped my palms on my jeans, and turned to Steve, who was staring in silent defiance through the windshield. The fluorescence from a streetlight cast eerie shadows across the chiseled contours of his handsome brown face, making him look more like a villain in a superhero movie than just another cheating husband with a band. Is it Vasha? Steve snorted with disgust. Vash isn't the one you need to worry about. Who then? Hysteria rose in my throat. Who am I supposed to be worried about now? A big rig passed, shaking the car. This is really dangerous. Steve hit the hazard button on the dash. Yellow staccato flashed around our car. I don't know who gave it to me, okay? Okay. Tomorrow I would need to get tested for the venereal disease of the 21st century or risk dying of cervical cancer because my husband couldn't keep his part in his pants. Sleeping with my own husband is more dangerous than sitting on the side of the freeway. I laughed until my fist found his body and I hit until he grabbed my wrists, pulling me toward him in a hard kiss. I bit his lip. He yelped and pulled away. This relationship is toxic. Steve wiped a spot of blood from his mouth. Everybody says so. Everybody in your band or just everybody you're sleeping with? He shook his head. You're crazy. And then I opened the glove box, pulled out the 32 caliber, and shot him. Dead. Danny. Satisfied, Danny hit publish and took a swig of her Diet Coke. God, she missed smoking and ding-dongs. It was Karen, her OA sponsor, who politely suggested that Danny try journaling as a way to fix some unresolved issues from her marriage and fill her God-shaped hole with something other than screaming resentment, sorrow, and sugar products. A soft-spoken, irritatingly sweet person, new to sponsoring, Karen took her Overeaters Anonymous duties very seriously. Eager not to be the one to discourage her fresh out of the gate, Danny had gone to Michael's Art Supply and purchased a hardcover sketchbook with blank pages, plus a few black pens, because she didn't like writing on lines or in blue ink. At the time, it had seemed like a futile exercise to write about how much her ex-husband had hurt her during her five-year marriage, and even more so after. But Danny was tired of crying herself to sleep, covered in powdered sugar dust, and her boyfriend Barney was, too. With three pages in, her ex was already dead. Bad potato salad at a pic family picnic. It was surprising, exhilarating, life-affirming. Danny had danced around her apartment singing, ding dong, the guy is dead. Which old guy? My dirty old ex guy. And she didn't even like dancing. <laughs> the next morning, Peter was hit by a truck. When Danny wrote, his perfect body cracked the semi's windshield in a bloody sunburst. She achieved poetic justice. Each morning, Danny awoke, heart fluttering, eager to stab, shoot, or poison Peter. She filled the blank pages of journals with the flames of her revenge fantasies until they caught fire and exploded into her blog, Just Desserts, with currently 61 avid followers at justdesserts.com. Of course, once she went online, Danny changed everyone's names. Peter, her ex, was Steve on the blog. 
Sasha, the backup singer, became Vasha. And his real-life band, The Disasters, were the Calamities. It suited them. They could all kiss off. Shortly after the divorce, Peter and The Disasters had released Crazy Girl, Crazy Boy Love. Danny first heard her lyrics playing on KROQ 106.7 one morning while driving to a crappy temp job. (laughs) Shaking with fury, she ran a red light, hired a bloodthirsty attorney, and sued for half of the rights. The lawsuit went to trial six brutal, violating months, which had increased the band's visibility into a record deal, but decreased Danny's bank balance to zero. Crazy ex-wife sues over a crazy love song, a tabloid feeding frenzy. Without documentation, email, or paper trail, there was no way to prove she'd written the song. Peter won. A week after the trial, Danny received a check for $10,000 with Goddess, We Wish You Peace, written in a feminine scrawl in the memo section. Does Goddess know you're sleeping with my husband, Sasha? She shouted. Then Danny cashed the check, hired a couple of guys outside a Home Depot to help carry her away from their married apartment full of roaches and sorrow in Van Nuys and moved into a sunny two-bedroom in lovely green Pasadena. She told herself she was starting over, but spent the next few months cramming treats down her gullet until 30 pounds later, her younger sister, Monica, a turnstile 12-stepper, suggested Overeaters Anonymous. For once in her miserable life, Monica had been right. Researching and devising creative ways to kill Peter was filling Danny's God-shaped hole. Not in the way mortified Karen had hoped, but at least she wasn't shoveling baked goods into her pain. Ten pounds shed and a reason to get out of bed. Who could have imagined that Danielle Desi Smith, crossing over the hump of 35, earning 15 an hour as a crappy temp, was born to be a literary assassin? Okay, Karen had waxed and warned philosophic. When God closes a door, he always opens a window. Without your ex-husband's infidelities and emotional abuse, you might never have discovered your writing talent. You should take a screenwriting class and move away from this kind of dangerous fantasy thinking. Kelly Peter didn't make Danny feel bad. She didn't want to write screenplays. She appreciated her sponsor's support, but Karen wore on Danny's nerves. She had beaten on a closed door until smashing her fist through a window. She had the ugly scars to prove it. She wouldn't quit killing him now. It felt too good, almost better than sugar. She was hooked on revenge, a race car speeding toward a cliff, eager to see how close she could get to the edge. <laughs> and that was Stacy Greason reading from All the Girls in Town. And I didn't pick up on the title on where that came from until near the end when I should have because I love that song. <laughs> So I love that song too. Yeah. <laughs> which, and actually, oh, I'm sorry. Which, of, for listeners who might not be know what we're talking about, it's an old Carpenters song from the 70s, I think. Um, all the girls in town follow you all around because, just like me, they want to be close to you. <laughs> right? Yeah. Why do why do birds suddenly appear? I think that the singer Frank Ocean has a. Uh, like a mix of it out right now. So the, the youth might be familiar with it. Okay. You know, okay. Was not, this was not originally the title of the novel. I wondered. I wondered. They always sang the song at the end. The title of the novel was very different. Um, uh, and I was in an online writing community that was quite large and um, uh, pr- getting ready to promote our books coming out. And someone else in the group came out with a book um, with the title I had chosen. So, oh, um, hi. which was, it, it was, it wasn't a great title. I don't know if I should say it cause then I'm outing someone. Oh, <laughs> for, for title, title, um, borrowing title taking. <laughs> um, so, uh, but, um, you know, that's how like, um, an obstacle turns out to be a benefit, right? Because I love the title, All the Girls in Town. It's so much better. And, and at first I completely freaked out when I saw that this person had come out with a novel. And I totally freaked out and I racked my brain and my agent and my publisher. We tried to figure out what, you know, but then of course it was so easy. Of course it's All the Girls in Town because I want this book to be a love letter to women. I mean, I wrote it as a love letter to women, right? Right. Um, in a time where women, we really need to be seen and heard and honor our lives and our bodies and our, you know, our choices. And we need to be sisters, even if we're very different, right? We, we have to overcome our individual differences and unite for something that's bigger, I feel. 
So even though the, I hope the novel isn't too messagey, um, I oh. am writing it for all the girls. And so that's been <laughs> the best part for me of having this book come out is all the different women who have um, really been moved by it and are reaching out to me talking about how it touched them and they're so varied. And so that makes me very happy. Oh, that's amazing. That's really great. Yeah. yeah um, I identified or, you know, liked, I guess, read most. She's, yeah, she's the one that, that I kept wanting to read more about and just felt some, some bond with. Not, and not for any particular reason that I can think of. It's not like my life is anything like hers, but, but, um, yeah, she was the one for me. I, well, Monica, maybe that's because she's the driving force of the story. Well, that's she true. She runs the action. Red is the one who gets everything done. She's the one who reaches out to Danny and says, let's meet for coffee. She's the one who goes undercover working for Sasha and then realizes, oh, Sasha's not a jerk. Um, Red is the person who brings them all together and drives the story. That's true. That's so she's very strong. <laughs> yes. And, 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 you know, you must be very strong. That's what I love, too, is that everyone tells me they relate to different characters. That's so fantastic. <laughs> You're listening to Writer's Voices, and our guest today is Stacy Greason, author of All the Girls in Town, a novel. Now, Stacy, you mentioned that you were working on a screenplay. So how many of those have you written, and have any been made into movies? No, none. Um, <laughs> you know, that's the funny part about writing, right? Is people don't realize how many things you write before something. I have written a lot of screenplays. Um, I started writing screenplays. Actually, I started writing TV pilots and spec scripts first. Spec scripts are, they like you love watching The Office. So you write an episode of The Office and you send it out trying to get an agent. Um, and maybe or maybe or maybe not, it gets on The Office, but it's how you get an agent. Um, so I started out when I left the soap opera, I did start writing out, uh, I, I wrote a few TV pilots, um, and I wrote a couple of screenplays. I wrote a, a screenplay with a girlfriend, um, called the hero of the world that won quite a few film festivals. And it was a YA, uh, a teen movie about a young girl who's lost her mother and she accidentally brings to life her favorite superheroine in a graphic novel called The Hero of the World. And then she has to figure out how to get the people from the graphic novel back into the novel. And she <laughs> finds the theater. And it's very fun. But then after that, my third novel was optioned for a film and they hired me to write the screenplay. So then I wrote the screenplay to that. Um, the un-American one? Yeah, the last great, well, the, no, <laughs> my third novel was The Last Great American Housewife about a housewife who climbs a tree by the mall and lives in it. Oh, you know, okay. It's from being torn down. Whoa. Um, <laughs> and so The Last Great American Housewife, but the screenplay is entitled Treed, like up a tree. Oh, right, right. Yes. So, and I think I might be writing the screenplay for all the girls in town. I might go out with that. So we'll see. Wow. Um, it's is very it, uh, difficult to adapt a novel that you've written. Yeah, most most times they don't have the author do the adaptation. It's, yeah, it's very difficult because you have to kill off a lot of your darlings. Yeah, yeah, because in a novel, to get it into, what, a 90 minute, 120 minutes, yeah, you're you're leaving out a good portion of it, aren't you? Yeah, whole chunks of people's backstories. That's the most beautiful thing about writing a novel, right? You just throw in everything but the kitchen sink. <laughs> and then you decide what to pull out. But uh, uh, screenwriting is a good form of writing also. It teaches such discipline because it's all structure. Right. And right. it's all visual. Do you enjoy screenwriting more than novel writing? Um, when I'm screenwriting, I want to be writing a novel. And when I'm writing a novel, I want to be writing a screenplay. <laughs> and you do short stories and essays also. I do. I do. Um, yeah. What are what are like some of your essay topics? I have an essay that will be coming out in a substack called Oldster, Sarah Hosey. I don't know if you know Oldster, but it's my favorite new substack. Ah. Um, it's for women over 40, but it's for everyone. It's called Oldster, and I just love her. Uh, she's such a good writer. And I have an essay coming out soon called Feral that's about um, the year I turned 50 
and I uh, wanted to go to Paris and I saved all my money with a girlfriend, but then I rear-ended someone coming off the freeway from my day job and there went Paris. And then a year later, I met my now husband, Larry. And he said, when I told him the story, he said, I'll take you to Paris. And I said, oh my gosh, you're completely freaking me out. The grand gesture like does not work for me. <laughs> um, and on our second date, we agreed that neither of us wanted to be married. I didn't want to ever be married. And he didn't want to be married again. Um, and four months into it, I realized I wanted to be married. And it rocked my world because I was so feral. I even r rescue and tame feral kittens. And I'm so not interested in marriage. And I found myself wanting to be married to this person. So it's an, it's an essay called Feral. Oh, interesting. Well, I'm assuming you've made it to Paris by now. I got engaged in Paris. <laughs> How this happened to me, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I'm a hustler. I've always, you know, after I left the show, I've always worked 100 day jobs plus part-time jobs and writing, 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 hustling, doing whatever I can. And, um, and I got engaged in Paris, just like Diane Keaton in one of my favorite movies, oh. Something's Gotta Give. And he even took me to Le Grand Colbert for my birthday because I was, we were there over my birthday, just like Diane Keaton in Something's Gotta Give. So oh, wow. It, it was like I was in a movie. It was crazy. So. <laughs> well, I just... I always tell people, don't ever, don't ever have any preconceptions of what your life is going to look like. You have no idea. That's, a, that's good advice. I just returned from Paris myself. I was there. Oh. Um, when did I get back? I guess it's been over a week now. So I was there two weeks ago. Oh, you can just have a fantastic time. Yes. Yes. I was in London and Lisbon and Paris. And it was, it was wonderful. We had beautiful weather. You know, it was mid-October. And with the, the one thing I was surprised at is how much the, there still were crowds of people. You know, still a lot of tourists. I thought, oh, we'll go in October. Nobody else will be there <laughs> i think it must be because we're all just you know getting out of that first covid phase and yeah so everyone just really, we want to travel we um we finally got to take our trip to galapagos we just got back from galapagos two oh. weeks ago uh my husband's bucket list trip that we had paid for in 2019 and then the pandemic happened and we just hoped that the company would still be open so um wow so that's a cruise type of thing we did a, a small boat yeah we did a small boat we were on a and we did an eco tour and it was just snorkeling hiking kayaking it was beautiful really amazing it was really amazing to see what the ecuadorian government has done to return the islands to their original state how hard they're working oh wonderful you know, very few tourists only 150 people are allowed on an island a day so we didn't see people Oh, except the people we traveled with on the boat, which yeah. was a small group, just 20 people. My goodness. Yeah, mm -hmm. we saw all three cities had quite a few, quite a few tourists. And um, but not not I think it would have been worse in the summer that there'd be more in the summer. Definitely. But, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. But and I really think it was the best time of year to go because we never the weather was perfect, really. Never too hot, but never cold. I've traveled in Europe in October before where I was freezing the whole time, but for some reason we really lucked out or global warming. <laughs> right. It could be that too. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. We, next year we're going to go to Lisbon in Spain, I think. Um, I, uh, I definitely will go to Portugal. Definitely. I have a lot of friends and relatives buying places in Lisbon right now. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. a, a thing. And it's sort of a controversial thing. Because, I, it is very controversial. Yeah. I cannot imagine that the Portuguese are happy. Well, uh, I think it depends. Um, I found all the Portuguese people to be very friendly, yeah, and yeah. Um, not you know not resistant to having their city inundated by tourists. But because they're really pretty dependent on tourism, I think in Lisbon, I think it's very important to the economy. I learned a lot about the history because we went to this Museum of Liberty and Resistance, I think it was called, which told the stories of um, the fastest government that 
lasted up in, into the 1970s. Right, 1972, I think, right? Yeah, something like that. And it was very harsh. It was very, you know, the, the building that this museum is in had been a prison. And there was, you know, I couldn't go into, they had these cells, these tiny, tiny cells where people um, were isolated for months. And I just, mm. I couldn't even go into them. It was... It really took a lot of courage for um, to overthrow that government, and and it was a bloodless coup. Yeah, and but it was helped a lot by the colonies that were, um, you know, Portugal still was a colonial power, right. and the colonies were rebelling, and that actually helped the Portuguese people to become mm. free too. So it's very, we don't think about that, you know, when, you know, these colonies were overthrowing the, the colon, the colonialists and, you know, trying to get their freedom that in this case, it actually helped the Portuguese people get their freedom right. as well. So that was fascinating. Um, so when you, so you were writing all these years and it doesn't sound like you had a lot of publishing success until no, recently. I, <laughs> I had, I had uh, what uh, uh, someone would call a giant yacht over my psychic chart, over my chart, <laughs> my life chart. I could not get arrested. I could not, and I, uh, and I do think that um, you know, I do think it's a myth that everyone who writes their first novel gets it published. And I do think that in America, we think if it doesn't happen fast, then it isn't supposed to happen. Um, you know, I'm a Buddhist, so I do believe in karma. And I think that um, sometimes you just can't reason why things, you know, I, I never received uh, query, you know, query letter rejections or from publishers. I never received like quit this and get a day job kind of emails or letters. <laughs> I always received, I love this, I don't have a place for this, or, you know, say like with uh, my second novel, Manifest Nation, it's too un-American. Um, I often got, you know, it was too weird. It's too weird, it's too different. Um, uh, you know, or or like my former agent who said, I cannot figure out why no one wants this book. I can't figure it out. Let's self-publish it, you know. Mm. Um so, you know, with this one, I was fortunate that, you know, a lot of people really liked the novel. Um, so, and I do think it's about timing, right? Right. I mean, Malcolm, Gladwell, Malcolm Gladwell, I, one of my favorite things he says, and I'm going to mess up the quote. He says, you know, um, mastery is what happens after 20 years writing at your kitchen table. I mean, sometimes it's just, you know, you just have to put in the work. You don't know when it's going to happen. There's no, there's no deadline on having, I mean, look at me. I got married at 52, 53. <laughs> so there's no, there's no deadline on when someone is, you know, that's why those, you know, hot under 40 lists always drive me mad. Um, I think women over 50 have a lot to say, right? We've had a lot more experiences, a lot more wisdom. So what, but what kept you writing through all of that? I have no idea because it just seems like the stupidest thing. I mean, I would cry all the time. It was very hard. And I would say to people, isn't insanity, isn't the definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results? <laughs> am, I, am I completely insane? Um, I feel compelled to share stories this way. I feel compelled. I I don't feel compelled to be an actor anymore. I I am a writer I'll always write, whether or not anyone buys it. I'll always be in writing groups. I'll always be reading. I'm a writer. I like to tell stories this way, whether it's a screenplay, a short story. This is how I express myself. Now, you're, um, I'm wondering, like, what your stepchildren think of, like, this book where you're killing off the, uh, <laughs> the killing off the, the, uh, rock star time after time they love it they love it i have the most supportive i mean they're all they're all uh two of them are in their 20s and another now and, a, and another one is in his 40s um but they're very supportive they come to 
um, book events, and uh, I can't I can't tell you if they're going to read the book. I'm sure that they. I know my daughter in law has read it. The the stepkids are like, you know, my my stepson is like, you know, I, he likes to read political nonfiction. <laughs> and he's very proud of me. He thinks it's very exciting. Um, he'll read all the interviews. He'll listen to the podcasts. But um, re- I don't know if he's going to read the novel. But they don't have to. You know, right, they don't have right. to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my stepdaughter loves it. So tell me a little bit about your writing process, um, particularly for a novel. Now, are you, do you focus on writing one piece at a time or are you going back and forth between pieces? And do you have a, a set time of day, set number of day hours that you write? I'm a morning writer, um, but not too early. I, I get up, I do my Buddhist chanting, I have my coffee, and then I try to go right to my desk. I'm very fortunate right now that I don't have a full-time job. I don't have to have a full-time job right now. Uh, It used to be that I had to be a nighttime and weekend writer. Mm. So I'm just a writer who I will, I'll get it done. If I give myself a deadline, I'll get it done. My preference would be to write from like nine to three every day and then go for a hike. Um, That's a a real quality life. (laughs) Like a dream life. But, it, but for me, it's always about, I just, I always say butt plus chair equals victory. I have to get my, my butt in the chair, but also so much of writing is hiking and showering and listening to music and dreaming and thinking. And I can feel I have a new book in me right now. There's a character, she's coming around, she's sort of courting me. I want to know what her life is about. I can feel her. And so we're sort of in a conversation. Um, (laughs) That's usually how a book happens for me. It always feels like I'm not going to write another book and then somebody shows up. So when you started writing All the Girls in Town, did you know how it was going to end? No, I had no idea. Wow. At what point did you figure it out? Um. Uh, I would, I would say, um, about three quarters of the way through the first draft. Okay. And, um, so yeah, it was, it, it surprised me by the way. I wasn't expecting that ending. Right. Yeah. About three quarters of the way through the first draft, I went, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And, um, you know, what I really like to do as a writer, not screenwriting, but novel writing, is to throw a character, get to know a character, and then throw them into a situation to see what they do. And so then I had three characters, and I had to throw them into a room with each other. They don't even like each other in the beginning. Right. Um, now, did and, you did you write all three characters sort of simultaneously? I did. Yeah. So you I went, did. I went back and forth them. between them? Right. I did. And then I felt when they should all come together. And the structure where each chapter is from a pers- one of their perspective, was that always the case? Was that always how you wrote it? Yeah. It was always how I wrote it. I tend to write that way anyway. I have another book that there are two characters and it goes back and forth until they come together. I don't know. Is it because I'm a Gemini? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like exploring different points of view. And... So you do, do you do a, like a quick first draft or do you do a lot of editing as you go from the beginning? I pound out the first draft because I'm afraid that if I go back and edit, which I've tried before, then I'm, I'm censoring myself Mm. and I just want it to be as bad as possible. I just want to really get it out there. And then I send it to a couple of friends, uh, who, uh, whom I trust and, um, see what their thoughts are. And then um, I see, and usually when I get feedback from a couple of my readers and my husband, who used to be in uh, magazine publishing, he, he will read it now too. I can see where the holes are from what people say. And then I'll go back and do the second draft. And usually I've avoided the most important scenes. It's really interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, they're the hard ones, right? The most emotional scenes, maybe things I don't want to put the character through, like, uh, you know, a scene with Violet, the niece or something. Um, I, you know, if I feel tender toward a character, then I, it's interesting. I don't want to put them through it. And I don't even realize that I've avoided certain things until someone else reads it. You're fortunate. So they'll actually point that out 
to you? And oh, yeah. I, and I love notes. I love notes as long as they're not mean, um, because I don't know how that serves anyone, but I love rewriting. Oh, interesting. Okay. So rewriting is the best. So how many drafts would you say you do before you're done? And the follow-up question to that is, how do you know when you're done? Um, uh, well, with this novel, I would say I did six drafts, five drafts or six drafts. Um, you just know what you, you just know when you're done because you're not really ever done. Yeah, that's the problem. There's always something right? you could make better. There's always. always something. I mean, I did a pass on this novel uh, based on an agent who was waiting to read it. Um, who wanted uh, Peter's point of view. So I did a pass with Peter, the rock star in it, and I could not write him. And I realized that's because it's not his story. Mm. And um, so she passed on book um, because, uh, but I really felt the book was about, you know, really fantastic women can date a, a crappy guy. It's not a, yeah. you know, it's not, we all have, you know, we all have blind spots and, you know, all kinds of things. So I really wanted, and so he may come across as one-sided, but that's because we're seeing him through their eyes. Mm, yeah. Um, and uh, so then I, then, you know, then once it goes to the publisher and then, you know, I'm assigned an editor and, and the editor and I worked together on it and she made it even better. I really, really liked working with her and she, you know, we had a couple of tussles over things to leave in and things to take out and, um, and it was really good. And was this the first time you worked with a professional editor? No, I have an editor. I work. I have a like a developmental coach editor. I I've worked with on other novels. Pat Verducci, she's fantastic, and um and she really holds your feet to the fire. Like as um there's a famous screenwriter Meg Lafoe, and she always says, "Walk through the lava." The writer has to be willing to walk through the lava, and so um, to really go through the emotional stuff mm. that you face when you're writing. Um, so I like, so I like working with an editor. You're listening to Writer's Voices and our guest today is Stacy Greeson, author of All the Girls in Town. So you found a new agent for this book, it sounds like, from what you had previously. And how did you go about doing that? Um, I am a story of hope for everyone. <laughs> I, it took me 150 queries. Oh, wow. <laughs> get this agent. And I queried and I rewrote the query. I hired a professional, very well-known query writer. Uh, it was, I, some of it has to do with um, people don't really answer email anymore. Um, some of it had to do with, you know, not right. Some of it had to do with, oh, it's a little bit too much like Daisy Jones and the Six. Um and I kept rewriting and rewriting the query until I, I got it right. And it took me a year and a half. And that is just part of uh, the power of no. I mean, I've really learned to use it. I can't believe that you kept going that long. I have this crazy, I am like a dog with a bone. But I'm also, like I said, a Buddhist. And Buddhism says that... The obstacle is the answer to your prayer. Build muscles. So if if at any point people had said to me, this book is really bad, or you can't write, or I would be re-examining, but I don't receive those kind of notes. Mostly I just receive my, oh, I just feel, oh, my karma is so heavy. What is, you know, <laughs> my karma. Um, and, uh, and I keep going. And, you know, I will say that there are other books that I stopped, like this novel I'm going to go out with, the new novel, Manifest Nation. I did query for a long time after a publisher dropped it after 9-11. And um, it was too painful, mm. and I quit. So I'm sort of like the example of, you know, nothing is actually over. There's just a time and a season, right? So let's go out with this book now, you know, I've reworked it. I've updated it. I, that's what I did during COVID. I, you know, rewrote this manifest nation while we waited to, for things to sort of open up to come out with all the girls in town. Yeah. It's not, you haven't failed until you stop. I think so. Yeah. I really think so. Yeah. So you found the agent and then how difficult was it to find the publisher? 
It was fairly difficult. I don't think that we queried that long. Um, I think we went to a few big five and it just, and then this, and then this small press touchpoint press um, was really, really, really loved it. And it just seemed right. So I just did it. And, um, and I already knew I was actually a book coach in my former life. I, I have helped many people who are not writers create book proposals and get book deals. Um, I also was a literary agent in Hollywood for a year and a half. So I'm not unfamiliar with um, uh, pitching and going out and what's right. And also I'm not unfamiliar with if we go with a small press, I have to hire a publicist and I'm going to have to learn how to market it. So that's what I did. And does Touchpoint Press have a certain type of book that they are known for? No, I don't think so. Okay. They have um, many different, and, and um, a lot of uh, female authors, um, I know they have a faith division, but of course this book is not in that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's very, uh, you know, I warned my mother before she read it. There's a lot of four letter words. <laughs> and she said, oh, you warned me until I was unprepared. <laughs> I know my mom, bless bless her, she, she's always like, I don't know why they have to put that stuff in. I know. Well, and I will tell your mom and my mom because that's how some people talk. Yeah. Yep. It is. Some people talk that way and some people don't. And there's all kinds of people in the world. And, um, and I think we do, I at least do read things that um, – uh, I like to read a lot of fiction that are that introduce me to characters who may may not be relatable at first in worlds that are completely foreign because that's what literature does is it expands our capacity to care about others right right uh, hopefully. yeah hopefully. and and to live kind of to live vicariously lives that um that we don't get you know to get to try on other lives right yeah. I, I um, used to, or I made a comment once I had watched the um, during COVID. I went back and watched all of the whole Sex in the City um, yeah. series. Yeah, and, and I yeah I let I had watched some of it when it was first run, but not all of it. And and I had watched some with my daughter who was a teenager towards the end of that run. But um, I I said you know it's like. It makes me nostalgic for a life that I never had. <laughs> that makes absolute sense. Yes, I am a Carrie. Who are you, a Carrie? A yeah, Samantha, yeah. A, I'd be more. I'd be a Carrie. Yeah. 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 So you know, back in I haven't um, done a, a lot of writing lately. I used to do a lot more writing myself but uh, then I got really busy with my companies and and writers voices and so forth but back in the day when I was submitting we didn't even have email so that's how long ago that was <laughs> yes I know I know you would send a self-addressed stamped return envelope yep with your address with your whole manuscript it was very expensive you're printing you're mailing and then you're just waiting, waiting. For months, and you weren't For supposed to months. do simultaneous submissions. It was supposed yes. to be one at a time, and if you did do a simultaneous submission, it was considered bad form if you didn't let the person know that you had done that. But if you did let them know you had done that, then they might be less likely to consider your your submission. It was, yeah, and you were not allowed to call the office. Well, you're still not, and then you would get back this just little envelope with a. Yeah. Rejection. Yep. <laughs> in some ways, it was a simpler time because you weren't watching all your friends on social media get book deals and, mm. and New York Times reviews. Um, I, I learned a lot about the publishing world through this experience because I'd never been in it. Um, and I, I used to think that Hollywood was a tough place. Um, and uh, I would say the publishing world is exactly like Hollywood. Oh wow! It doesn't seem much different to me um, wow. in terms of who gets who gets noticed, who gets the reviews, who gets. It's all um, 
I, you know, there's all kinds of insider stuff I had no idea about. Um, so, but then every now and then an outsider breaks it breaks through. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And sometimes things rise on, on merit and then other times it's, you know, it's been the plan of the big five publisher that we're going to focus on this book and make it a hit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're so, almost out of time, but you had mentioned earlier that you're in a large online writing group. And I just wondered how that works and how you got well, involved with that. A, it, actually, I, I misspoke. It's not really a writing group. It was a marketing and promotion group for, uh, oh, okay. for debut authors. Okay, yeah. gotcha. So my writing group is very small. And is that in person? You're... We're still Zooming. Are you? Yeah. We're still Zooming. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to bring it back in person. What's the what's the structure for it? The, there's just five of us, and you have to submit early, a couple weeks early, a few pages at a time, you know, and then we get together and and review each other's material. Of course, always starting with what works, yes, and then moving into um, you know what might critique. be bumping up, or yeah. have you thought about this, or yeah, critiquing and how to critique is so important. Yeah, we I like the sandwich technique. Where you start with positive, then the more critical, and then end with the positive. Right. <laughs> Just to be sure that someone's still going to go home and write, even if they're stopped for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, Stacy, it's been a real pleasure having you on Writer's Voices today. And we are out of time. And we always end with a quote which you had some great quotes that you mentioned during our, during our talk, but I found one that I feel like is very apt for, for this, from Maya Angelou, who's one of my favorite uh, prior guests. She was a guest on Writer's Voices years ago. Um, She said, each time a woman stands up for herself without knowing it, possibly without claiming it, she stands up for all women. I love that quote. Thank you, Monica. I love that quote. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you for, for um, talking to me a little bit about all the girls in town. I really appreciate it. And look forward to your next book. Thank you. <laughs> See you Thank all you. next week on Writer's Voices. <laughs>